Um, we're, we're in a new little section of um, Galatians 3, but um, as you might have guessed, uh, the subject is still justification by faith. I, I, think, I think justification by faith was so important to Paul because justification by faith is the only doctrine that does the work of Christ's um, adequate description. Uh, everything else detracts from Christ, and justification by faith alone exalts him. So ultimately, the doctrine is important simply because it continues to take us to Christ and take us to Christ and take us to Christ. Um, and, and that's why we're here, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I do what I do, is, is so that you, can be, uh, that you can see the excellencies and the beauties of what Christ has done and the solution that God has provided uh, for our sinful condition. So, uh, for Paul, it was, it was never far away from his pen, and, um, and it's still here, and it'll be here until the end of this book, at least, the, the book of Galatians. Um, but the verses that we're going to, and I think we, we might get further than these three uh, tonight, um, but I doubt it. But let me read verses 10, 11, and 12 for you uh, out of Galatians 3. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law uh, to do them, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, um, for the just shall live by faith. Um, yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Guys, um, the point of this little section, and it's just another little subset of this giant thing called justification by faith, but the point that Paul is making here is um, that no one can keep the law in its entirety, which is... um, which is required of you um, if you want to be one, which he describes as uh, of the works of the law. That is, for as many as are of the works of the law. If you want to be one of those of the works of the law, if that's, if that's the category in which you feel comfortable, then there's, there's a couple of things that you need to know. Um, that no one can keep that law in its entirety which is the requirement again. And then he goes on um, to quote Deuteronomy 27, 26, which you don't have to turn there, but I'd like to read it to you because Deuteronomy 27, 26 comes comes at the end of a large, a very large section where Paul is talking about cursed if you don't do this and cursed if you don't do this. Let me read it. This is Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law. Um, in, a, in a list of numerous curses, the final one that Moses mentions here in verse 26, um, it kind of summarizes all else that he said. You got to do this, 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 and this. And by the way, if you don't do all of it, you're cursed. And that's, this is the verse that Paul is quoting Galatians 3.10. Measured by God's standards, 
um, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, guys, that's his point. That's his point in Galatians 3, um, 10, that nobody can keep the thing in its entirety, and that is what is required of you if you choose to, um, to go a different route than the one that is paid for you by Jesus Christ. There is only one way to avoid the curse, and that's by faith. If you are determined to have your works count, um, they can. Your works, can they can count. If you do all of the law, all of the time, perfectly. <clears throat> um, in verse, um, verse 12, yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. If you want uh, to, to attempt to um, demonstrate your own um, religious value by obeying the law, then, then that's fine. That'll work. That is an option for you. But it requires that you do all of it. Um, not just externally, but internally as well. <clears throat> you know, one of the, um, one of the, 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 the uh, just the killers um, about the uh, Sermon on the Mount is the, is the basic point that Jesus is making in the Sermon on the Mount is it's not, it's not enough to do the letter of the law, but you must also do the spirit of the law. The, the classic illustration that, that I use a lot and that I guess everybody else does too is where Jesus says, um, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, I would hope every man in the, and woman in this room could say, I have never committed adultery. But, Jesus goes on, but I say unto you, he that looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already. <laughs> so you see, it's not enough to do the law externally. I've got to do the law internally. Not only do I have to obey, obey the letter of the law, I must obey the spirit of the law. Um, Jesus is asked on one occasion, what's the greatest commandment of all? And um, he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Externally, internally, and your neighbor as yourself. That is, that is what you must do if you choose to try and save yourself um, by your own uh, performances. <clears throat> you know, guys... Um, <clears throat> What is it that makes a good work good? Well, it's got to be, first of all, required of the scriptures, and then 
that work must spring from a heart of faith. One of the things that Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 is um, he really got after the religionists of his day because he said, he would say, you love to give alms and you love to be seen of men when you do it. Well, is it wrong to give alms? Uh, Let me just put it in our language. You love to tithe, but you love to be seen of men when you tithe. Is it wrong to tithe? Nope. But if the motive behind that is wrong, then the whole thing is wrong. It's not enough to do externally what is right. It is required of you that you do internally what is right. Not only must it be the right thing, but it must be motivated for the right reasons. Now, if you want your works to count, there you go. Um, <clears throat> there is this, um, um, you know the story in Genesis 4 where uh, Cain and Abel, Cain ultimately kills Abel and they both bring their offering and um, Cain brings fruit and Abel brings an uh, animal, a dead animal and, um, and people point to that text and they say, you see there, God accepted that God honored that. God accepted that, that work, of, that, work that, that, that Abel did. And then you go to the book of Hebrews, and it tells you why he brought that. He, Abel brought the right offering by faith. Gang, um, the, the point of verse 10 is that any self-salvation project of any kind requires that you keep it all internally, externally, spirit, letter, perfectly, all the time. Uh, and then if you, if you do that, you will live by that. I mean, that is, that's what he says uh, in verse, yet, uh, but the man who does them, shall live by them. But to attempt that, guys, do you you see ultimately um, what that method is doing? It is a grand statement of unbelief. Um, God offers a method by which sinners can be saved, and we say, no, I don't like that one. I choose to go in a different way. Path. And it, it removes God from the center of this salvation project and replaces it with your own performances. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing as wicked as unbelief. Nothing is it was, as wicked as, you know, I, I said that a couple of, or several Sundays ago. Um, when Jesus in John 16 says that the Holy Spirit will come to convict the world of sin Righteousness and judgment. And then he gives us an example of what he means by sin. But he doesn't use same-sex marriage or adultery or, or thievery or murder. He says, I'm going to convict the world of sin. And the one that I have in mind, says Jesus, is that, that they do not believe in me. There's nothing more wicked 
There's nothing more wicked than unbelief, ladies and gentlemen. And to reject this free offer of the gospel, it is to, um, it is to remove God from the center of this redemptive story and put yourself right there in the center of it. Guys, that's the point that he's making in verse 10. Um, for as many as who are of the works of the law are under the curse of the law, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So you lived 65 years and you did perfectly. And then one night you lost your temper and you kicked the dog. You didn't live by it perfectly. And you were under a curse. Um, Guys, have you really looked at everything that the law demands? You have got to be some sort of fool to believe that there is a hope of you obeying it. Um, at best, any kind of self-salvation project, guys, leaves you in a high state of anxiety and insecurity. For this reason, you're always wondering, have you, ever, have you done enough? Have I done enough? Um, I'll tell you something else it it does. Those who are more um, bent towards law. Guys, it it also, um, it makes you extremely sensitive to criticism. Because you are so interested in your performance and when somebody criticizes it, mm, that, that really sends me into a tailspin. Um, you are very perturbed um, by people who outshine you, who do better at it than you do, because uh, that performance is is really, really important to you. So you can't take criticism, you live in anxiety and insecurity, and you're really jealous of those, you're really perturbed at those who, who outshine you. If those things describe you, then I would say, guys, um, maybe you chose the wrong solution to your sin. The real obeyers of the law are those who have embraced Christ. Because to embrace him is to be in union with Christ, and to be in union with Christ is to... Um, have his merit become mine. Paul is opposing all those who think they can keep the law. Surely, surely you are not so benighted as to think that a legitimate attempt on your part um, you know um, I had a kind of an introspective moment this morning. We've had a man who died in the church, and um, good, good guy, good, good man. He coached me in high school, coached me in football. 
and I was quite a good football player, I must add. Um, but um, you might know Dave Murphy, Coach Murphy. He died suddenly. Very surprised. And, um, and I'm not saying, I mean, I, I believe Dave is in, uh, a Christian. But I, 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 I sat in my office this morning and wondered, did he hear enough of the gospel from me? Did he hear it clearly enough? Was there enough emphasis upon Christ and him crucified? So that if Dave came to us as a non-believer that he heard it rightly here? Gang, Paul is trying to convince you that any attempt to save yourself by law works puts you under the curse. And the only fool that would attempt to do something like that is one who has not yet understood the immensity of the demands of the law. The purpose of the law is to kill, not to make alive. Only faith makes us alive, guys. Um, You know, in, in the New Testament, and people still do it today, To make the law doable, you have to change it. Um, And that's what Jesus opposed again and again and again in the New Testament. For those who, who want to earn their way, if you face the law, you realize it's a little above me, so you have to change it. One of the classic illustrations is Mark chapter 7. It's called Corban. You remember that? Corban was an attempt to change the law that said, honor your father and your mother. <clears throat> Guys, if that were the only law, that was it. Honor your father and your mother. We would all be under the curse. And so Judaism saw, well, that's a, that's a pretty hard thing to do. So they changed it and came up with this thing called Korban. That's what's mentioned in Mark chapter 7. Korban was an attempt to, to bypass the law, make it doable for somebody like me, and, um, and then tell myself that I've really kept it. I was reading... Um, <laughs> I was reading just the other day in, in Philippians. Um, um, hold on. Philippians, oh no, Philippians 2. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Forget honoring your father and your mother. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. That's a part of this madness. This opus of law keeping do everything without grumbling or complaining to to fool myself I'm going to read you something that Martin Luther wrote (laughs) Martin Luther has gotten me into plenty of trouble but but um, let me back up 
The point of these three verses is to let you know there are two options. There's only two. You can come to faith or you can try to perform it on your own. But if you choose to perform it on your own, you have to keep it all. All of it. Is that not clear? How can it be any clearer? There are two options. Faith in Christ's finished work or your attempt to save yourself. And the standard is utter perfection. Um, in my, my morning, I'm in the book of Daniel. And um, Nebuchadnezzar, you, you know how Daniel opens. Um, chapter 1 is about Daniel. They, they just come to Babylon as part of the captives, and, and they request that they not have to eat the foreigner's food so they can remain undefiled. That's chapter 1. Remember what chapter 2 is? <clears throat> chapter 2 is that, um, um, that story where, where um, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And uh, he says, uh, he calls in all of the, the astrologers and the soothsayers, and he says, I want you to interpret my dream. And they said, well, tell us the dream. And he says, well, we're not going to do that. He says, I'm not going to do that. Um, you've got to tell me what the dream is, then you've got to interpret it. Nobody can do that. So he says, we're going to kill them all. Right as they're coming in to kill Daniel, um, uh, Daniel says, whoa, 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 what's the big deal? Um, and um, he says, well, the, you know, the king's going to kill everybody because they can't interpret his dream. And, he's, and Daniel says something like, but there is a God in heaven. He can interpret the dream. So he goes and interprets the dream. Remember that? That's chapter 2. You know what chapter 3 is? Chapter 3 is when Nebuchadnezzar builds that huge, that huge statue to his own glory and tells everybody to worship it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, mm-mm, not going to worship it. Not going to worship it. Um, and so people that are envious of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come tell Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, you got three guys in your kingdom, they're Jews, and they, they won't fall down and worship your image. And he says, well, heat that fire up seven times hotter. So they, you know, they, I don't know how you do that. They just pump air into it. You know, they make it hotter. And the guys that go to throw them in, it's so hot, they get killed. But then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego comes in there and doesn't touch them. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar says, um, <clears throat> he said, wait a minute. Didn't we put three in there? There's a fourth in there. Where's that fourth one from? And then finally, Nebuchadnezzar says, come on out of there, y'all. Your God is God. Yada, yada, yada. Then chapter four. Here's my point, ladies and gentlemen. Forget chapter one. Chapter two is this grand interpretation of his dream and uh, the, uh, the elevation of Daniel. Chapter 3 is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Chapter 4 is about another dream that Daniel comes in and interprets. And here's the point. Nebuchadnezzar still hasn't gotten it. He's witnessed that. 
and that, and that. And he still doesn't understand. But you do. You got it. It's clear to you, isn't it? Law, faith. Do you know why it's clear to you? Do you know why you get it? I mean, you would think after you saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and that fourth guy who showed up in there and you know everybody's getting burned up and all the soldiers got killed, you'd think that Nebuchadnezzar would say, oh, well, all right. <laughs> Jehovah must be God. I better own him as my God. But he doesn't. He does at the latter part of chapter 4. After he becomes a beast. Do you remember that? Why is it so clear to you? Why do you get it? Is it because we're smarter? It's because God in his grace has given you eyes to see and ears to hear. Apart from that, ladies and gentlemen, we will choose performance every time. I can stand up here and say, you got to obey all of it. I got it. I got it. I'm going to choose. You got to do inwardly, outwardly. I'm not going to do it. Ladies and they're doing it all over this planet thinking that they're somehow going to merit their own standing. Why is it that you don't see it like that? Why is it that you can see the utter insanity of even trying that? God gave you a new new heart. And we get it because God sovereignly reached out in grace and exchanged a heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. And all of a sudden, we see that is crazy. And this is where I want to read Luther, who always gets me in trouble. (coughs) Down boy. Um, Luther writes, I cannot get over the blindness of the Pope's theologians. To imagine, listen to this, to imagine that the mighty forces of sin, death, and the curse can be vanquished by the righteousness of man's paltry works, by fasting, pilgrimages, masses, vows, and such, and then he uses this word, G-E-W-G-A-W-S, gigos. I'm going to read you the sentence again. I've never heard that word before. I've never seen that word, but that's what he said. 
to imagine that the mighty forces of sin and death and the curse can be vanquished by the righteousness of man's paltry works. For example, fasting, pilgrimages, masses, vows, and a bunch of geegaws <laughs> to think that my sin is going to be undone by a bunch of geegaws. Fastings, taking some pilgrimage, vows, that the way to address my sin is by performing some giggles. I cannot get over the blindness of the post-theologians. To imagine that the forces of sin and death and the curse can be vanquished by the righteousness of man's paltry works. I, I, I find it unbelievable. These blind teachers of the blind turn the poor people over to the mercy of sin, death, and the devil. What chance has a defenseless human creature against these powers of darkness. They train sinners who are ten times worse than any thief, whore, or murderer. The divine power of God alone can destroy sin and death. And create righteousness in life. Do you understand this? I mean, oh yeah. Well, I'm awfully selfish, and I'm uh, you know I've had an affair or two, and uh, you know I stole from my my boss, and uh, you know I really uh, you know I, I I've got some real porn problems, and um, and uh, you know I I uh, I sell a few illicit drugs there on, on the side, and, and uh, just a few other things, but I know how to fix it. I don't want to address all that. I'll just take a trip. I'll just go to a holy city. That'll do it. (laughs) How can you be so blind? Why is it that you think you see it? Why is it that The blindness of the Pope's theologians absolutely appall you as well. Why is it that you aren't out there doing a bunch of gigos so that you can address your sin and prepare yourself to die and to stand before God? Why is it that you know how stupid this is and that you know the only hope that anybody ever has is because of Christ's finished work and his provision of righteousness that's imputed to us? Why is it that you believe that? 
the Pope's theologians, they prefer giggles. But you don't. You know why? Grace. Grace. God has seen fit to pull you out of your blindness and give you a new set of eyes and a new heart. And so I stand up here and I say, well, if you're going to obey the law, you've got to go, you got to obey all of it. And you say, well, I know that's foolishness. What other, other option is there? Oh, I know. It's Christ and my faith in him. You know that. You know that because God has seen fit to woo you into his kingdom. And we're done we're done with a bunch of gigos as if we could tithe our way into heaven. As if we could teach Sunday school into our, our way to heaven. That's nonsense. Yes, it is. And we understand it. Because God has opened our eyes to see it. That's good. Our Father, I do pray that you will remind us that if we are so benighted that we think that somehow we're going to cover all of our sin with a bunch of fastings and tithings and pilgrimages and, and other such vanity... I pray that you will open people's eyes tonight to see that that is such a, a fruitless endeavor and that the only thing that will ever right the ship of our souls is to cast ourselves in faith on the finished work of Christ. Father, we would not dream of trying to find another way. That is the way that you provided and that is the way that we will embrace. Thank you, O oh God. Thank you for at one point we were as blind as was Nebuchadnezzar. And we could watch three men in a fiery furnace and another one show up in there and it never move us to conversion. Only until... You intervene to grant us eyes to see and ears to hear. Will we see the beauty of the gospel? But Father, so many people in this room see that. But if you've led one or two or three or a half a dozen in here who have not yet come to the end of their performing rope, would you cause them to see just what Luther saw? The idiocy of trying to cover our sin with our supposed goodnesses. There's nothing good enough to do it. Only the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And in that we cast ourselves all over again. Father, um, might every person who ever enters Gracie Van hear enough of the gospel 
that their souls might find safe haven in Christ's finished work. We, um, we commit ourselves to that as a church. I commit myself to that as a pastor. And might people more and more see the necessity, the urgency of broadcasting a simple little message about the foolishness of attempting to save myself and the beauty of casting myself on Christ Jesus. We pray, as always, in Christ's name.